Hello and welcome to National League Town, Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Greetings from the other side of the trade deadline, Jeff. On today's show, we discuss the state of the Mets. But first, this is our first show in NLT Studios since the All-Star break. Greg, it's nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. So let's check the roster, see if there's been any turnover since we've been here. Gianluca Pagliuca, what has gone on here? A few weeks ago, Greg sent me the 2023 Mets yearbook. That was nice of him. I always like seeing the Mets yearbook. I thumbed through it before the show, and it seems like a short-lived time capsule. It wasn't even a yearbook. It was a two-thirds of a yearbook. It's why they uh, used to make revised editions of the yearbook. If anybody bought them besides me and you, they might still do that. How are you feeling today? I think our feelings are still evolving. But for me, I've resigned acceptance. I accept that the 2023 Mets will not make the playoffs. We talked about that during the All-Star break. We knew that wasn't going to happen. I accept that they are not going to be the favorites in 2024. And I accept that things are looking brighter for 2025 and beyond. I choose to believe that. I have to believe that. How do you feel right now? Yeah, I've already processed the 2023 part. Uh, It didn't take a whole lot considering the standing sort of dictated those thoughts. I mean, as late as Sunday, leaving City Field, I was still a little bit in that, well, if they could win this many games and pick up this much ground, you never know. And that that was after two of the six trades that they've made. But, you know, the door was barely ajar. And as a fan, you're either either going to endlessly look for a way in, and we've certainly discussed the precedent years where you could say, well, we thought they were out of it, but then they reeled off this many wins. Or you just say, you know what, if they were any good to begin with, they would be on their way already, or they would be a lot closer than they are, and they weren't. And This was something that, more importantly, that you or I accept, the people who make the decisions accepted. They understood it. They looked at what they had. They thumbed through their yearbook, even though they're still going to sell that yearbook at City Field. And they just said, you know what? We're not getting anywhere, and we don't think we're going to get anywhere the rest of 2023. And we don't think we're positioned to get anywhere in the longer term, whether that's 2024 or beyond, if we don't make certain moves. And boy, did they make certain moves. Now, Howie said a few weeks ago, may have been last week, the Mets just need two good weeks. And they had three out of four against Washington, which is not the greatest foe in the world, but it's still winning three out of four. Do you think that they overreacted? To me, it feels like they were being realistic. Yeah, I mean, any small sample size is going to pale in comparison to what they've put out there since March 30th. And I think it was the former Met Mark Hanna who said uh, in the aftermath of the first of the six trades that went down when David Robertson was traded. uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but if we had played better, maybe we wouldn't be doing this. 
Uh, you know, I, I definitely saw the possibilities in one good week. I mean, if you look over at the Chicago Cubs, the Cubs have done what we needed to do. The Cubs went off on a mighty streak, I think eight in a row. They've played very well. They've injected themselves into the wild card race, into their divisional race. Uh, so that's sort of what we did in 2019 with the wild card race. We got super hot right around this time of year, and we didn't throw in the towel, we being that year's front office. Uh, you know, you needed a lot to go right for this team to have gone anywhere, even if you had said, you know, we want to ride Verlander and Scherzer, who both left the Mets with very good outings uh, on their ledger and generally speaking in an upward trajectory, certainly Verlander, Scherzer a little less consistent, but both obviously attractive to legitimate contenders. You needed all of that to be coalescing, not just those two pitchers, but everybody in the lineup and everybody in the rotation everybody in the bullpen and you needed a bunch of teams to just kind of thump for along uh, 500 or less which I thought was possible that part of it because there just been a lot of teams putting aside the Cubs surging into the race all the teams that have sort of been there all this time the Marlins the Diamondbacks the Giants the Phillies and one among the Reds and Brewers whoever doesn't win that division and I guess you throw the Cubs into that mix too um, they've all had their moments of being really good and being really promising as if they're going to pull away and they don't. So if you had a team and again, you know, the Mets were positioned if they could have just gotten hot to be that team, the Padres were positioned to be that team and they still might to just sort of inject themselves in the proceedings. The Mets never did. We watched this team once June ended, and again, I don't know why we talk in terms of months. They, they don't really mean anything. You don't win anything for having a good record in June or July. But once June ended and they started playing pretty well, we said, well, just maybe the, these are the Mets, and they won six in a row. And then they, they were one of the teams fumfering along, uh, you know, win two out of three, lose two out of three, not getting anywhere. So while you could have said, Six teams make the playoffs in this league. None of them that are within theoretical reach are that great. And maybe the Mets just haven't had their moment yet. The Mets, as we knew them in that yearbook and uh, coming into the teeth of the trade deadline, it wasn't happening. It really wasn't. It was a, a shot in the dark. And we live in a period now where you kind of can do something about it you can you can make moves in the other direction and we live with a club owner who is willing to bite the bullet on certain contracts which is really what this comes down to uh, when the names Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander came up as trade possibilities I mean even just theoretical I don't know how many weeks ago it seemed sort of I won't say laughable, but fanciful because didn't aren't these guys making $43.3 million a year and don't they have full no trade clauses and aren't they signed through next year? And all the things that you, you would think speak to at least a near long-term commitment, but nobody has ever had the ability to eat a contract, to 
want to eat a contract and make the most out of it, at least you hope make the most out of it. And that's why I think both of us are here today, while we're not thrilled to be playing out the string with a third of a season to go, I don't think either one of us feels, you know, the the entire enterprise has been burned to the ground. This isn't post Wayne Heisinga Marlin territory, to use the most extreme example. This has an eye on the future. You, you just have to commit to living long enough <laughs> to, to reap the rewards, perhaps, or at least to see how it goes. If, in fact, what has been said is true, and when I say what has been said, what Max Scherzer has said in speaking to reporters, to Ken Rosenthal specifically, and also to reporters in Texas, when he said he was told, well, you know, both uh, Billy Epler and Steve Cohn told me in so many words, we're, we're not going to reload for 2024. And they're looking more at the, the years after that. Uh, you planning on sticking around for a couple of more years beyond 2024? If you're a Mets fan, well, you might be in luck because that's what they're focused on now. And, and, and not in some vague, don't worry, someday we'll be good. It seems like the things they've done in the last few days have had a purpose to them beyond, you know, get, getting rid of some of the contracts. Because uh, obviously they're, they're eating a lot of the contracts. And it's not like they got somebody else to pay for, you know, $43 million next year for these guys. But uh, th this is a, this is a move. This is a statement. This isn't just a, a dumping. I mean, the, the other four guys they traded, Robertson, Canna, Pham, and we'll throw in Leon. I mean, there, there's nothing phenomenally novel about doing that at a trade deadline. Guys who are on expiring contracts or guys who were sort of fringe players uh, bringing back a prospect here and a prospect there. What they did with Scherzer and Verlander is stunning uh, on so many counts. And I, you know, now the the intrigue again. It's not the sort of thing you buy a a ticket to City Field to to think about the intrigue. You want to see pretty decent baseball uh, in the interim, but the intrigue here is fascinating. Will will this work? You know, you know what I think happened here. Well, let's look at the amateur draft in, in the theory of the amateur draft. It was instituted in 1965 to give every team a shot to improve because baseball in the 20th century before that was the rich teams with lots of scouts, lots of minor league teams, and perhaps lots of allure. And I'm talking about the Yankees, to a lesser extent, the Cardinals, the Dodgers. They can go around the country and sign all the players they want. And you had teams that were just out of luck for the most part, unless they got lucky. And the draft was supposed to level that out. What I think Steve Cohn has enabled here is almost a private draft. Not amateurs, because these guys were signed. But being able to figure out a way to peel off top prospects from other teams that kind of circumvents the system. He created his own system. He created it because he has the ability to create it. And to a certain extent, he and the front office have the wherewithal and if you want to call it the vision, fine, to create that. And suddenly you're able to recede what wasn't, by all accounts, an okay farm system to perhaps a very fruitful farm system. Again, it's for the, the process is, is fascinating and it could be a winner. If it doesn't work out, we won't care. 
because it'll just be, why did we trade a bunch of guys for a bunch of prospects who never worked out? But the idea of getting these sorts of prospects is they're supposed to be good players in a couple of years. That we will find out. And that was that was bold. Uh, it, this this may sound like the, the old cliche of, of, of pigs and lipstick, uh, but if, if that's what we come out of, out of 2023, uh, that is something that we will probably look back on and say, wow, they, they really turned the franchise, not so much around because we thought the franchise had been turned around once Steve Cohen bought it, but they, they fixed its direction and we were going somewhere thanks to the way they handled that trade deadline in 2023. Uh, a lot to uh, discuss from your, from your points there. I did not expect them to trade Scherzer or Verlander. I thought there were too many pieces that had to, uh, to move, but I underestimated Steve's willingness to eat salary and pay these players to play for another team. Side note, I read that Scherzer is now the first player in Major League history to be paid $15 million or more by three different teams at the same time because Washington is uh, still paying him. They deferred some of his contract. Contrast what Steve did with what the Wilpons did. The Wilpons would take lesser prospects if the other team would absorb more of the current salary. Steve did the opposite. He, he took a majority of the salary for greater prospects. And in turn, the Mets added, according to fan graphs, there are lots of lists. You can look at any list you want. But in, according to fan graphs, the Mets added their one, three, seven, and eight top prospects over these past few days. The Mets turned three older pitchers into four top 100 in all of baseball prospects. That doesn't win you a banner today. You don't get a banner for having the number one farm system in baseball America. You don't put that in the right field corner. But you might get a banner someday, and we hope so. And if your patience is thin, if you're saying, I'm getting older, I want to see competitive baseball, I don't want to see DJ Stewart out there, I don't want to see walk-off box by minor leaguers, then that's a valid position. But the Mets decided to improve their farm system at the expense of short-term gain. Some people are saying they're rebuilding the Mets. They're rebuilding the farm system. I don't consider this to be a rebuild of the New York Mets. I think they will be competitive. I'm not going to use Billy's word that they repurpose the money. Uh, it sounds like he got an MBA and learned that word. I think they will be competitive next year i don't think steve knows about or wants us to consider that they are rebuilding i think they will get starting pitching and i think on a team which has alonzo and has mcneil as, as of now and has had marte hopefully will be healthy and nimmo and, and lindor etc plus the young players have will have another year of experience under their belt i think the team will be competitive i don't think i'll be saying that they're going to win the World Series when we do our preseason prognostications next year. But I think they can be competitive. Some people still say it's a rebuild. Do you consider this a rebuild? Well, I don't really care what some people say. I don't know who they are. Uh, rebuild is one of those words that carries a connotation of giving up in the short term. Uh, 
I would be thrilled if they rebuilt uh, off the ashes of this year. But if you mean rebuild as in they're just going to keep finding ways to get rid of name players and just get more and more prospects, perhaps not top prospects, you know, that's not happening here. Uh, can they be competitive in 2024 for using the word competitive to mean kind of hang around and possibly be one of the teams that gets to this part of the year and still has a chance to make the postseason? I think with six postseason berths in each league, yeah, it's a possibility uh, based on the one game that we have seen to this point. Uh, after all these trades were made, I wouldn't give you a nickel for their chances <laughs> next year if we're going to be looking at Rafael Ortega and Danny Mendick and DJ Stewart, who actually hit the ball pretty hard last night. But uh, that that's beside the point. But I, you know, again, you're, you're that we're, I'm not going to judge this this team's short term prospects on one game. Uh, 2023 is going to be a tough watch to take a verb and make it into a noun. And, you know, we don't know what the hell 2024 is. If we were sitting here, if we'd had this show two whole years ago and we were talking about what's 2022 going to look like, we would have had no idea. None of the guys who kind of created what 2022 became were here. And we didn't know who the general manager was going to be at that point. It's, you know, it's folly to talk about results beyond tonight's game and even tonight's game who the hell knows what's going to happen but you know we're, we're i think we're trying to foresee a future where we have an organization that is stocking itself with talent with lots of high ceiling as they say and that will continue to build a regenerating feeder system and not have to rely on 40-year-old pitchers and 39-year-old pitchers and that sort of thing. It's not like they went out and got a lot of pitching, by the way, but that's a, a separate pursuit, I suppose. Uh, you know, go, going back to you know the beginning of this season, you know, we all kind of took it on faith that it was a 101-win team that had been tweaked. Uh, there is no 101-win team in March. They're all, every team is zero and zero, I suppose. And you can glean certain things from the quality of your roster. And perhaps if, if you're ambitious, try to understand it in the context of other teams' rosters. But you just don't know. Uh, are you better off going into next year with the names that you mentioned? I'll throw one more name in there. Edwin Diaz. He'll be back. At least right. We certainly hope. Uh, there'll be a lot of talent. We've, we've also talked about teams that in the past had a lot of talent and absolutely imploded. Uh, you know, we just, we were rooting for one until a couple of days ago, I suppose. Uh, you know, again, this isn't, this is not a tear down in the classic sense. This was not everybody must go. This was a very creative way of facing up to the reality that two of your main stalwarts, Certainly your, your pitching staff stalwarts did not pitch like it, did not lead the team to great success. It wasn't all on them. Uh, they both had their ups. They both had their downs. And they were, I suppose, indicative of how everybody on this team played. Um, listen, there were nights as this season became this season that I threw up my hands and said, why don't they just get rid of everybody? 
and th this is what it feels like that that's what you listen to that's what you heard me saying <laughs> you know we say things like why can't you win more and they don't win why can't you get rid of everybody oh we don't worry we just got rid of six guys um you know you, you get you, you get used to certain players and you like rooting for them but you also understand especially if you've, you've been a fan all your life that very little is nothing is forever i was gonna say very little is forever but you know there, there are a handful of players you have the pleasure of maintaining that fan relationship with in your mind forever. You know, we never had to say goodbye to David Wright. And even though we had to say goodbye to, you know, Bud Harrelson played for the Phillies and the Rangers, but he was always a Met. You know what I mean? Um, these guys, the guys we said goodbye to were, you know, they were acquisitions and then they were in new transactions. Uh, you know, there was a moment last week where I was thinking, what would be the harm of just, you know, taking a pass on the trade deadline? Maybe you get hot, maybe you don't. In the meantime, you get to root for Mark Hanna, who I know we both adored. And you get to root for Tommy Pham, who impressed both of us with his professionalism and the hard hitting. And we both liked David Robertson, nice, reliable closer. And it was fun to be able to say, look, there's Justin Verlander. I went to Justin Verlander's last start as a Met. Like, my God, Justin Verlander is pitching for the Mets and pitching pretty well. There's Max Scherzer. That for all his Michigas, he's still Max Scherzer. He was appealing to the Texas Rangers, a serious contender. All these guys were appealing to serious or at least aspirational contenders. Uh, I could have lived with that, too. Uh, but... I would like to live, and I, I wrote something about this the other day. I, I like to get to a point where I use the word era without irony. <laughs> like, hey, it's the, uh, you know, the Mickey Calloway era is over. The Luis Rojas era is over. The Max Scherzer era is over. You know, I like to live in a, in a period where I know the Mets are, are good and can win, but also like, you know, that I know the players and that I know the philosophy and we're not going to go running screaming into the streets if we lose three in a row or five out of seven that everything's going to be okay and that, that we trust the organization to uh you know to, to know what it's doing and any bumps in the road can be overcome and you know after winning as many games as the team did last year and going to the playoffs and being in first place most of the year uh i think we all we all thought that i you know, the, one of the vestiges of what this team was supposed to be beyond the 2023 yearbook, those commercials that run incessantly during the games for how baseball hits different here, uh, which, which kind of spoke to the branding aspect of the team. You felt like you were rooting for a contender, like one of the best teams in baseball. And it all kind of plays off that. And I was watching one of those commercials last night thinking like, man, that, that feels old now because now we're just some six games under 500 team that's thrown in the towel. And I understand why, but it's, it's kind of tough to go back to that, even if it's a temporary thing, even if we wind up saying in a couple of years, it was worth it because look where we are now. Uh, it was fun being that, that team that, you know, I, I don't give a rat's tail about prognostications, but it was fun being that kind of team that was presumed to, to be a playoff team. Like, hey, we, we've got that covered. We're, you know, we're going to win 90 games or 98 games. Well, that, that's over with for now. So 
I'd like to live in a longer version of that. And apparently it's not as easy as getting there once and then deciding it can happen again because we were pretty well positioned for it. It didn't happen again this year. Uh, I don't think this is a rebuild. I think this is a something of a reckoning uh, to put this thing on, on a long-term track. Uh, and that's, you know, if, I, if I'm going to use the word era without irony, um, that's what an era is about. It's about some sort of long-term. So maybe again, maybe that's where, that's what we're launching toward after this trade deadline. I think your comment earlier about Steve redefining the draft is 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 good because he he's done that not just in paying over slot for this first round pick this year other teams do that but the fact that he took his money and again his his willingness to pay salary of his former players to play for other teams to get quality players and i could see this happening next year I know again, I don't think this is a rebuild. I didn't mention Kodai Senga and I didn't mention Diaz. Kodai Senga hopefully wins rookie of the year. This team will be, let's say, competitive, if not good, next year. Uh, and if not, and maybe they'll sign Aaron Nola as a free agent and will be somewhat optimistic, maybe more realistic. And if the team goes south again, they'll send Nola to another team for a top prospect. And the Steve draft year two will be on. But what you, the word stability was important to you when I said that Buck should be fired. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, and I, so it's a little, must be jarring for you, all this instability. The whole season has had that sense of instability, though. I mean, what the hell was Justin Verlander doing here? And I, I don't mean, why would you want Justin Verlander? Just... You know, you wake up one one day in December and, you know, your your ace of aces, Jacob deGrom, leaves. And I'm always one of those people who never believes the guys I really like are ever going to leave of their own volition or not be invited back strongly. And you can make all the rationale for it that you want. And, hey, how many games has Jacob deGrom pitched this year? Gee, it wasn't such a bad thing not having him. But I not, was nonetheless deep down shocked just as I was, oh, Edgardo Alfonso will never be allowed to leave. Jose Reyes will never be allowed to leave. That's just the kind of fan I am. So while I'm still dealing with that, and then, you know, that that was, I think, on a Friday night, and by Monday we had Justin Verlander. You know, like, huh? <laughs> it was a little bit like that with Max Scherzer the year before. I mean, you couldn't argue with the idea of a guy who was still one of, the, not only one of the top pitchers of his generation, but a guy who was still pretty much, from what we could tell, toward the top of his game was suddenly a Met. And actually, I thought of that. Remember, Scherzer came here as sort of the crescendo of a weekend that we thought, and it, it definitely set us up for 2022. Perhaps we thought it, it was going to set up that era that, uh, you know, is, is never quite in our grasp. You know, Escobar and Canna and Marte all came on the same day, on a Friday. And while you're still absorbing that, we're hearing on Sunday night, you know, Max Scherzer could be coming to the Mets when there had been no talk about that. And by Monday, you know, it, it was one of those hot and heavy free agent type of rumor days. And this was right before the lockout. So they had to get everything done. 
Like, will Scherzer come? Scherzer wants to come. He needs to have certain things satisfied. And I'm thinking, how how much more satisfaction could Max Scherzer need beyond $40 million? But whatever. And at that point, you sort of lose the pros and cons aspect of investing in Max Scherzer for however many years it was supposed to be. And you've got to get this done because they're just talking about it so much. I thought of that not not just because Max Scherzer was traded, but when the Justin Verlander part of it began to unfold, it had that sense of, well, if you're going to talk about it this much, you've got to get it done. Even though part of me was thinking, why would you want to get rid of Justin Verlander after the way he's pitched lately? If we're going to assume that he's still that pitcher, don't you want to win games next year? Don't you want to win some games this year? What are we doing here? Well, even on Saturday night when the Scherzer news went down, didn't necessarily occur to me, well, Verlander's the next piece, because, you know, they're different people, different personalities, different needs. But as, as soon as, as soon as I'm on the train home from Verlander's last start, and I'm seeing his commentary after the game, which was kind of mirrored Scherzer's in its own way, talking about needing to have a conversation with Steve Cohn or Billy Epler or both. It's like, well, I guess this is happening now. And I don't know that it was ever a sure thing until it was a sure thing. But you kind of, in a way, in a perverse way, you're sort of, well, you know, let the world burn at this point. Trade everybody, get rid of everybody. But again, it's it's not like they did it just for the sake of offloading contracts, because, again, they didn't really offload contracts, as, as we've discussed. And they bring back promising young players, which is absolutely what this organization needed. So is it? stable it wasn't stable to begin with if if this was how they were stocking their team every winter and will it be stable that is the question uh but will be stable for the good not just stagnant you know listen we we grew up in a time we came along a little before free agency so we were used to the same players every year and i think we understood even at our respective tender ages that they're not going to win every year but if they can just be pretty good and have a chance and now and then win which is exactly what the mets of say 1969 to 1976 were which coincides neatly with right before free agency and we get to root for tom Seaver every year and jerry kuzman every year and john matlack every year and the cleons and the buddies and you know, Ed Cranepool, and then once in a while they'll make a big trade and they'll get Rusty Staub or something like that. And you were okay with that. You probably wanted more. Then free agency came along and it kind of skewed our perception as fans of what was possible. And when we finally got good again, it wasn't really free agency that did it for us. It, it was a willingness to take on larger contracts or sign larger contracts that we got of established stars through trades. But you know, we we got to settle in with a team that seemed to know what it was doing, a golden era, if you will. And ever since then, I think there hasn't been a lot of stability from, say, 1990 forward. We've had some good times, uh, those, those few years, you know, where, where Piazza was hitting a lot of home runs and the Mets were going to the playoffs. You know, th- those were golden years in my mind, even if we never won the whole thing. And since then, it's a couple of good years here, a few terrible years there a sense of wandering through the desert in general. And you know, just to get back to a place where, again, we we know what the core of the team is. 
and we're confident that something is coming behind them for when others begin to age out and that it's working. Uh, you know, that I suppose is, and, you know, and, and a good image for the team, not that I should care what the rest of the world thinks, but you kind of do. You kind of want people to admire the Mets, not just laugh at them or for that matter, you know, gnash their teeth. And when things don't go right, say, ha, good. How how dare this owner try to improve the team he owns with the money he has, uh, you know, a few years after. What's wrong with the, the, the owner of the Mets who doesn't spend any money and lets the team go to seed? Uh, you know, let's get there. And I, I won't say that I'd rather have, you know, X number of super pleasant, super competitive years, and maybe they don't win a World Series because you, you never know, versus, you know, let's, let's put it this way. What, what if they had won the World Series last year and we would have been, you know, thrilled beyond ourselves right up to opening day or at least right up to the, uh, the end of Puerto Rico's big win in the World Baseball Classic when it dawned on us that it was a new year? And then this year happens, you know, I'm, I'm just being ve very hypothetical here, which doesn't do anybody any good, I suppose. But let's say we had that one big year and then everything kind of sucks. Um, we would still have the one big year and we would always cherish the one big year. But I suppose there would also be this just like lingering remorse. that why wasn't there more? And how, how did that fall apart so fast? I, I would just like to live in a place in a Mets place where things are going very well. And I'll take my chances from there. As someone who's applying for Medicare this year, I wouldn't mind one title and then I'll take my chances after that. But I understand the direction that they're going in. And like you, after Saturday, I said, OK, they traded Scherzer and we'll talk about that in a moment. I, I was fine with the team staying put the way it was with Verlander, et cetera, going into 2024. But they certainly didn't feel that way. Let's talk about Scherzer. I'm sure he pitched well up until September of last year. I don't remember it. With Scherzer, I think of three things. And you know what they are. September in Atlanta, the first playoff game against San Diego, and his getting suspended for too much rosin. He gave up a ton of home runs this year. Somehow he only gave up one in his last outing as a Met. Every time wanted him to come through this season, he did not. I'm talking the, for the last time about his game against the Red Sox. It was the night game of the unscheduled doubleheader that wasn't because the Friday night game was suspended. They won the first game. And my son texted me before the second game and said, this is a big game tonight. And I said, well, unfortunately, Scherzer's pitching. And he gave up four home runs. So when Scherzer opened his mouth, and he had every right to open his mouth, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer in his waning years. He wants to play for a, a team and he, uh, that's going to win, but he should have opened his mouth in private. And he acknowledged his contributions to the team's lack of success, but he acted above it, which maybe he feels he is because he's a future Hall of Famer. I just wish he handled that better, handled it in private. And once he left, once they made the trade the next day, I thought... Farewell, sticky fingers. I didn't care. You had a good comment, Greg, on faith and fear, where you said Max acts as if his he has a the Max logo, not Max the streaming service, on his jersey and not the team he's playing for. And what's more, and I'll double quote you, 
someone wrote to you on X and said to you, does this feel like Glavin? And your response was outstanding. Yeah, at least Glavin won a couple of playoff games. And, you know, I'm not a Tom Glavin as a Met fan by any means. Uh, yeah, the, the whole Scherzer experience was a little bizarre from the get-go. I don't know that I was prepared for it. He's one of those superstars I just watched from a distance. Certainly saw him enough against the Mets when he was with Washington and said, wow, he is a really good pitcher. He's you know, a winner, all of those things. And it's, it's great to have him here. And you know, we got off to a very good start in 2022. He got injured, took a little while for him to come back. I remember being very impressed by the fact that when he would go off and be a Binghamton rumble pony for one day that he, you know, treated the entire clubhouse to steak dinners and, whatever the top of the line headphones are or whatever, uh, you know, very, you know, big leaguer in the best sense of the word. And, you know, one of, one of those images you would have or should, you know, should be in the 2023 yearbook, at least, or shall I say the 2022 yearbook of your mind, it should be printed in the 2023 yearbook. The way, you know, he, they would make a big deal on SNY, and rightly so, he'd come out of every, when you come out of a game after six or seven really good innings, and the other starting pitchers would gather around, and Scherzer would sort of uh, you know, be debriefed. Uh, he would probably uh, proactively tell everybody what was going on uh, on the mound, how he was getting guys out. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things you feed off of watching it on TV. And I, I contrast that, the, the sort of my version of what you were thinking about, oh, no, it's a big game and Scherzer is pitching. I don't remember who the opponent was, but there was a night in probably June uh, at City Field where they made a point, SNY that is, of sending Ron Darling down to the field to watch Max Scherzer warm up and report back on how Max Scherzer is preparing. What a pro, what a great of the game. You know, look at everything he does to get ready. This is the mark of a true Hall of Famer. And I kind of groaned thinking like, stop telling us this and just let's see Max actually pitch that way. And I don't think he had a very good start that night. And I kind of rolled my eyes at the whole thing. You know, again, we're, we're talking about a guy who was 38 years old, turned 39 at the end of July, uh, which might take a toll. The fact that the pitch clock came in and messed with him as it probably messed with everybody to a certain extent. But Scherzer, somebody who we learned was very particular about the way he went about things, may not have adjusted. The whole sweat and rosin thing was just strange because this wasn't a new thing as far as we know. And kind of un unfurling it in my mind, you know, the, the umpire who got him seemed to be a particular stickler to this sort of thing. So I understand why it was... Why are they persecuting poor Max Scherzer? But it was just, you know, one thing on top of another as the year went on. So, when, yeah, when we get to, well, you know, how dare they trade David Robertson out from under me, Max Scherzer, and oh, yeah, the Mets, um, you know, suddenly I, I guess that that whole concept from a few weeks ago of how would they ever possibly trade Max Scherzer became, well, I guess they're trading Max Scherzer. And it happened very fast. And, you know, it, it reminded me, uh, again, ba baseball becoming – more like every other sport reminded me a little bit of the NBA where a superstar is unhappy and suddenly you're accommodating him. And 
you're being realistic that, well, we're not going to win a title this year. And, you know, that's where Max Scherzer went. You know, again, the, the fact that a, a team that's been in first place all year, Texas, wanted him, you know, still sees something in Max Scherzer more than just something, more than, hey, maybe we can get Jose Quintana. You know, he's obviously at a higher level. When he is Max Scherzer, he's unhittable. Uh, if he was Max Scherzer all year, he would have been unhittable. We, we saw too many sliders fly over too many fences to believe that. And I, I will I will just leave you with, with, with my sort of lingering uneasiness with Max Scherzer was after that San Diego playoff game, I believe it was then, it might have been at the end of that series, but uh, somewhere in there, you know, being asked about, uh, you know, boy, you, you denied so many words. You did not have a very good outing, Max. It's like, you know, I, I figured out what I was doing wrong. It was going to be fine. Like, really? It's that simple? Because it, it really didn't seem that way if you would were so capable of figuring things out and that was always kind of his thing he's going to figure it out uh we would have been the division champs last year because he would have shut down the braves when it really mattered and maybe we would have gone no we, we would have gone forward at least one more round because we would have won uh game one and game three against san diego and you know all kinds of outings this year and you know again starting pitchers especially elite starting pitchers you know, whether it's a Scherzer, whether it's a Glavin, uh, you know, they are very self-absorbed dudes and they make it work for them. And sometimes it, whatever it is they're thinking probably doesn't come out in a very flattering way for them. And they probably don't even realize it because, you know, they're as we all are they're in their own heads. And in their cases, they're fierce competitors and whatever it is they're doing makes all the sense in the world to them. And they're not really too worried about what some guy on TV is thinking or watching TV is thinking about it. So, again, if he had pitched better, you know, we, we'd be creating all kinds of narratives about, you know, God, what a what a fascinating personality Max Scherzer is. And are we lucky to have him instead of, you know, we, we found his faults or we decided that these were his faults. And maybe again, maybe he'll go to Texas. Ah, you know what? I figured out what it was with my slider. And uh, next thing you know, he'll be pitching in the World Series again. Who knows? But um, yeah, they're, they're, you know, again, on, on the emotional pecking order, shall we say, of the, the guys they got rid of here, Max Scherzer wasn't number one. <laughs> Max Scherzer wasn't, I'm not looking back and saying, oh my God. You know, even the years where they make trades and you understand them, yeah, you know, you're like when they traded Carlos Beltran for Zach Wheeler, you understood it. Because, you know, Beltran's contract was expiring. Wheeler was a great prospect. Uh, the Mets were sort of on the fringe of the race that year. But you had like seven years of Carlos Beltran to look back on and to feel bad that you no longer had. And thanks for the memories. And sure, sir, it was just sort of like, what well, again, to, to use a, a phrase I used earlier, what the hell was that? Before we turn to the incoming New York Mets of the future, uh, my feelings about the Scherzer and Verlander departures can be summed up by saying, I wish Justin Verlander all the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, good old JV. No, he was, you know, it doesn't feel like he was really here. And it just, he was here 16 starts and some were not that great. And you knew that there'd been a little physical problem that, that delayed his year. He didn't seem to make a lot of excuses. Uh he would have been happy probably to have stayed. It sounded like in both cases, when once 
the Mets decided that, and by Mets, I mean Steve Cohn and Billy Epler and everybody who works around Billy Epler. Once it was decided what we need to do is move these guys and create this new, even if it's a one-time only talent pipeline, uh, we're going to tell these guys in so many words what we need to tell them to get them out the door to say, yes, we will be traded. Um, could have we just gone ahead and had a Verlander-headed rotation, Verlander, Senga, Quintana, whoever, for next year, and be that team that competes, maybe not at the super highest level, but, well, maybe we can make the playoffs. We still have a lot of talent. Maybe we'll get lucky. You never know. Um, yeah, probably. But this this was where they wanted to go. But, yeah, I, I have no, you know, I have ill will towards Scherzer. I'm just like, didn't leave me warm and fuzzy. Uh, Verlander, I have absolutely no ambivalence. Uh, it was fun to have him here. Uh, not supposed. It was not supposed to be a fling. <laughs> it was supposed to be a few years, I suppose. But um, yeah, all the best. Not not that Houston needs another world championship. Uh, I'll just throw in that I I have a very good friend to go all the way back to college with, who settled in Houston and is a big Astros fan, and she immediately texted me thanking me for uh -huh. taking care of Justin Verlander for a few months and sending him back home. So uh, may, may people like that enjoy Justin Verlander, may Justin Verlander enjoy the rest of his life uh, in Houston and where, where it takes him. I'm, I, he seems to have a leg up on enjoying the rest of his life. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you, you wonder if the season would have been different if Verlander wasn't injured. Remember our opening day, Steve, uh, Gary Cohen says, hey, it's opening day. Welcome. By the way, Justin Verlander's on the IL, and he's not starting today. Yeah, and, we, you know, we, we definitely had to sort through a lot of, you know, Joey Lucchese starts and things like that, and whoever else we, we would bring up for a day, and, you know, I guess we're going to reintroduce ourselves to Tyler McGill wow. and David Peterson and all of that. So that's sort of the flip side to, to all of this uh, sunny future that we have decided to say for ourselves. But yeah, I mean, as much as we occasionally come back to Diaz being out for the whole year to this point and what that meant to the bullpen, we, we inevitably go back to we couldn't get long starts for the longest time out of our rotation. And some of that was Scherzer having his problems. Some of that was Senga adapting. And the rest of it were a bunch of pitchers who were just not were not capable of giving you that sort of length. Uh, or at least not giving it consistently. And now, you know, Carlos Carrasco is the dean of the rotation <laughs> and has uh, not pitched all that well. You know, what? one of the things I was keeping track of in my myriad keeping track of things <laughs> was every time we would send three 100-plus game winners out to take starts because it was sort of unusual. We did it in 76 when we had Seaver, Kuzman, and Lolich. And later on, we had, uh, it was it Gooden Fernandez? No, it wasn't Fernandez. It was Gooden Tanana and Saberhagen. Uh, I'm talking about guys who had 100 wins you know, at the time or more. And in the 2000s, we had a lot of you know, Glavin and Leiter and Traxel or Glavin, Martinez and Traxel. And we hadn't had that in ages. And suddenly we had Scherzer and Verlander and Carrasco who won his 100th game in 2022. And it was just one of those things, like, I have to write this down now in the file I keep. And now that's over because now, yeah, Carlos Carrasco is the last of the 100-game winners. And, you know, that's just the way that goes. So 
you know. Hey, hey let, me, let me just ask this rhetorically. All the guys we moved and we still have Daniel Vogel back. Why didn't anybody want Daniel Vogel back? Daniel Vogel back forever a Mets. He'll be a, a manager. They'll retire his <laughs> number. A year ago, Billy gave up a useful reliever uh, for him. We didn't think much of it at the time. And now apparently they couldn't give him away. He, I'm sure Pete's happy because you always see them palling around on the bench. But uh, I don't think any Mets fans are too thrilled about Vogelback's continued presence. Yeah, I don't mean to pick on Daniel Vogelback, but I remember going back to the Escobar trade, thinking, you know, I, think I was listening to the radio that night, and I think it was Keith Rad was on. Uh, maybe it was Howie. Uh, one of them said, oh, we have a trade coming down. And my first thought was, oh, they moved Vogelback. Fantastic. <laughs> and no, oh, okay. Well, oh, they're going to make a bunch of trades. Well, somebody will take Vogelback. And then the dust cleared yesterday. And I'm like, oh, man, that's right. Vogelback. What, what, how come nobody wanted a... You know, a left-handed bat. Come on, everybody. You can have him. But hey, um, maybe he'll make me uh, eat my words. Uh, I'm not going to profess being a minor league expert. I never heard of Drew Gilbert until about 1 o'clock yesterday when his name came up. But let me go over a few of the names that we will hopefully be hearing great things about in the coming years. The Justin Verlander trade included Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Drew Gilbert, I'm going to, I'm, this is from other sources. I'm not a primary source on these things. Drew Gilbert can play center field. Mets have a center fielder. He can hit for power. He's got speed. He's a good fielder. He plays as if his hair's on fire, which must be very uncomfortable. Uh, he's not a, he's about 5'9". He still has power. And they, they compare him to Dykstra, hopefully not in a legalistic sense, but in an on-field sense. Ryan Clifford has power. He's younger. He strikes out a lot, but they're saying that he can hit 30 home runs at the major league level. He's an outfielder, but he projects as uh, possibly a corner infielder. We'll see what happens with him. The Mets uh, acquired Luis Angel Acuna for Scherzer. And I like the comments that it was, uh, I think a brave fan wrote it, which surprised me because it was coherent, but it was that the the Braves treat the Mets as if they're the uh, the, the Mets are their little brother, and now the Mets actually acquired yeah. a Braves little brother. Uh, they Acuna is a shortstop. The Mets have a shortstop. He also plays center field. Mets have a center fielder. I hope they, that they don't, and I'm using this, I'm making up a new term. I hope they don't Mauricio him. And that is keep him at shortstop for too long so that he's not ready to play a new position in the majors. That appears to be what's going on now with Mauricio. I hope they move him to second base sooner than later, because that appears to be where he will go. He is a solid uh, hitter. He's got great. He makes great contact. He's, he's good at decision making. That's a term I've read a lot over the past few days. He's got a lot of speed. And by the way, here's a term about Gilbert that I've read about read, and I like this term a lot. He's twitchy. He's twitchy, Greg. And so is Acuna. That's a that's a scouting term. Are you twitchy? I don't drink coffee, so not as much <laughs> as the guys are. So Acuna and Gilbert immediately are in the Mets top five of prospects 
I think uh, they'll both be at double A. As Cunha uh, arrived at double A yesterday, we're not as sure as of this recording about Gilbert. The David Robertson trade bothered a lot of people because they got teenagers. You can't just stock the farm system from the top. It has to be at all levels. And maybe a few years from now, we'll be saying, I can't believe we got Marco Vargas for a guy who would be a free agent in two months. But for now, there are two teenagers that are merely going to be names on a list for a few years. And if all you're thinking about 2024, that's a valid point. But apparently these are very good prospects and Vargas immediately becomes a top 10 pro- prospect. He is, and here are two more scouting terms. He has superior bat to ball skills and he has elite decision-making. Uh, they got Ronald Hernandez in that trade. He's a catcher and we look forward to seeing him. And again, and again if you're thinking, well, why aren't they just getting top relievers? I'm going to, if, if my words aren't enough, Ben Clemens is a smart guy. And he said in fan graphs, if I were the Mets, I'd be trying to build a team for the whole future, not just the immediate, not just the immediate future. Trading for need, asking the Marlins for a double A swing man who could spell Justin Verlander next year, instead of focusing on getting the most raw value is how you end up tripping from failure to failure. Trying to patch the last problem is never as good of a strategy as going out and finding the next big thing. So you take teenagers and you put them in the lower minors and you look at them and hope for the best for the future. We're buying into that. There really is no other course of action here because it's been done. And yeah, I I read that Ben Clemens article and kind of thought the same thing also you know i'm again i'm, a, I'm aware of the positions you know, having been made aware of them you know reading about these guys uh that they play that would seem to be filled but again that that's kind of a red herring uh when it comes to the minor leagues because players get moved around and like you said that per- perhaps they should be moved around a little more frequently or sooner uh because we've seen what's going on with mauricio playing a position that belongs to a guy who's under contract for 10 years. But uh, again, this is this was Steve Cohn's private draft. Uh, you know, you throw in the, the guys they got from the other organizations, from the Brewers, from the Angels, from the Diamondbacks. And again, you, you, you know, they could all work out. None of them could work out. We've seen trade deadline hauls that amounted after a couple of years to Drew Smith, uh, maybe Steven Nagosik. Uh, after they'd gotten like you know a half a dozen to a dozen players in exchange for veterans, uh, I you know I w- without having ever seen more than a few clips of these guys, I see the logic in in what is being done here. And yeah, trying to get this team to go from whatever it was on the pace to be a seventy six win team, worried that you couldn't get them to eighty four wins this year. Uh, and if, if the immediate downside is that instead they only win 70 games, let's say, and next year, you know, we're not talking about them as a championship contender that year. Uh, you know, I think we, we've already concluded that that's that's the short term and that's where we are. And you, you could probably, you know, look at the, the rings around the trees and try to figure out how we got here long before. Steve Cohn came along, but we're we're moving forward, and it's sort of refreshing. Again, if you take a step back, 
again, if you take a step forward and watch them play a, a game out of 2003 or 2013 in 2023, like we did last night, if we were watching the Mets and Royals, because God, that was uh, just a depressing game to watch. Uh, they, they couldn't have picked a, a less inspiring setting or opponent. And that's putting aside the, the echoes of the 2015 world series. It's like, God, we're playing. We're like nose to nose with some team that's going to lose 110 games this year. This is just so sad. But that was one night. And the idea is to build from that and build out of what where we've been. So I don't really care what you call it, rebuilding or repurposing or that we're all twitchy and we're putting our bats to our balls and uh, we're making good decisions <laughs> and all of that. Uh, you know, yes, this is a this is a golden age for euphemisms, Jeff. But, uh, you know, we, we want to be able all of us to apply for Metsic hair to have our application approved and that we will get our championship banner in the mail with the promise of maybe another one uh, someday. So, you know, however you, you choose to frame it, uh, listen, six, six guys who we cheered for are no longer here, even whatever our reservations were, whatever our enthusiasm was, whether it was a guy we really liked, like Mark Hanna, who seemed like just one of the great mention of, of, of Mets baseball, or like I said, a guy like Tommy Pham, who like super professional hard hitter. We talked about Verlander and Scherzer. We weren't crazy about Dominic Leone, but he soaked up his innings and David Robertson, who, you know, did the job that was not supposed to be there. Um, they're all, you know, like another thousand plus Mets. They're all gone. Uh, and hopefully we, we, we have nice things to say about them in the future. And only good things happen to them unless they're playing the Mets. And until then, uh, we're going to root for this team, uh, despite our better judgment. And <laughs> we are going to look forward to this team morphing into something special and something that will last. And if that doesn't work, we're going to root for them anyway. And we'll be here to talk about these two months with you, no matter who's on the team. Uh, one other name, uh, Justin Jarvis was acquired. The only pitcher of note uh, for Mark Cannon. And I agree with you, Greg. He was more than someone that wore the Mets uniform. He was a real person, a good person. That doesn't mean you keep him if you don't need him, but it means that it feels worse when he's gone. So best of luck to Mark and Marcy Canna. Farewell to Big League Foodie. They have very good different types of food in Wisconsin, but I'm sure he'll uh, he'll he'll find uh, the right places and uh, have a good time. Greg and I haven't been traded. We'll be here at National League Town next week to talk about the Mets with you again. So until then, we thank you for listening. I'm Jeff Heisen. I'm Greg Prince. And as always, let's go let's Mets. Let's go Mets. Copyright 2023 music provided by the Royal Arctic Institute. Check them out on Spotify.